What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line, just about each and every show, is my co-host, Curtis. Sometimes he abandons us, goes, hangs out with friends, goes on dates, whatever it might be, uh, whatever mysterious things he's doing. But he's with us today here on the show, and uh, today is, I guess, Curtis, our, our first football off-season show. Does that sound about right? It sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, so this is what we're going to be calling, you know, very originally, obviously, Football Friday. So every every uh, Friday here, at least for the first couple weeks of the offseason, first couple of months really, until we get to uh, spring practice here in uh, probably late March, very early April, uh, we will uh, be doing every Friday. It will be our football show. Obviously, you know, basketball is kind of taking center stage to a degree as much as Georgia basketball can take center stage right now since it's in season. But you know this show, we never, ever, ever neglect our football talk as that change so each and every week uh, on Fridays will be our football Friday show we'll try to give you guys try to fill your uh, your football needs and give you that little fix there so today what we're going to do I know it's been a couple of weeks now since the season's been over uh, it's still really hard for me to talk about football right now uh, this is all I ever really think about but just just um, this is still very much an open wound uh, for what happened uh, at the national championship game but we will press on, and uh, today what we're going to do is kind of hand out our 2017 postseason football awards. I wasn't really going to, we weren't really going to do this show because uh, I know it's been a couple weeks out of the season's been over. We had a couple people on social media hitting us up, asking us to do this show because uh, we, we did the preseason superlatives at the, at the uh, beginning of the year. We did the midseason superlatives during the off week, and uh, so we were kind of wanted to see kind of where we ended things here now that the season is over. So we will hand out all those awards here. A couple of new ones that we weren't handing out uh, in the preseason and the post or in the, the midseason point, but a couple of these definitely carry over from those as well. But before we get there, just a couple quick reminders for you guys. You can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. You can check us out uh, on a bunch of different podcasting platforms out there. The, the first place to check would be dogsportsradio.com. Got started there. I don't know, what, three or so years ago at this point. Um, and uh, if it's easier for you guys, you can just download the Dog Sports Radio app straight to your smartphone. Pretty seamless there. But if you, if you prefer iTunes, SoundCloud, we're also uh, on those platforms as well. And uh, Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. So hopefully you guys can find us somewhere out there in the ether. Uh, and if, uh, we, if you've already rated and reviewed the show, we sincerely do appreciate it, guys. We really do. I know that it's kind of annoying to have to do that, but if you haven't, we would also really appreciate it if you guys would just take a second or two out of your day if you get a chance, kind of just one of those moments you're sitting there with not much to do, you're like, oh yeah, Glory UGA, let me give them a, a review. We would greatly appreciate that. It really helps us out more than you guys think, so uh, thanks in advance for that. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead, Kurt, and get into our 2017 postseason football awards. We're going to do both sides of the ball here. Uh, we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. And just kind of a, a, a note here before we start. I tried my best to – I don't know if you if you did it this way, Kurt, but I tried my best to kind of spread the wealth. Is that kind of how you a, attack this? Yeah, I tried. Because if you – I mean, in, in some cases you can't. Because honestly, like, when we get to the defense side of the ball, like you could put Roquan Smith for essentially every defensive award. You could. But we want to make it a little more interesting than that. Uh, so there might be one or two guys I've got doubled up, but I tried my best to kind of spread the wealth a little bit and give some love to a couple different guys out there. So I'll start with the offense, Kurt. And the first award that we're going to be handing out here today on our show is for Mr. Indispensable. So, Kurt, this is for the most indispensable player, the guy that we could not do without on the offensive side of the ball. Who are you going with here? Um, right in all honesty, I think I'm going to go with Isaiah Wynn. That's a, that's who we both had at the midseason point, right before the Florida game. 
And you're you're not changing that? No, I mean, because there's a bunch of players that are really important, but especially when it came to skills, the uh, skill players, you know, we were able to plug and place. So I think many we had a lot guys. of depth at, at a lot of those skill positions, you know, especially exactly. at running back. If, if if Sony goes down, if Nick goes down, that would suck. We don't want those guys to have him. Well, we could recover from that. We got DeAndre Swift, you got Holyfield, you got Heron. We could recover from that and not miss too much of a beat. Uh, a receiver, uh, okay, yeah, you know, we got we got the top guys, Javon Wims uh, and Terry Godwin, and those guys were really good for us this year. Uh, relatively speaking, but if one of those guys go down, I feel pretty good with Miko and Riley Ridley, you know, right? Yeah, and that's why I went with Wynn. Um, uh, the offensive line was really improved, but I, I got to say he's probably the most dependable of the offensive line. I think he ranked, he had the some of the highest offensive, you know, blocking, uh, blocking-wise numbers and ratings in the SEC this entire year, so I thought he just had a great year. I, I absolutely 100% agree. He had a great senior year. And this is a guy that's kind of been a jack-of-all-trades. Well, I shouldn't say a jack-of-all-trades. Kind of moving around between guard and, and, and tackle for most of his career. Tried out center. Couldn't really get the snapping down for whatever reason. But uh, he's a guy that I think prototypically, if you look at his size, he's not your typical uh, left tackle. He doesn't have the length uh, and the size for that. But he held up very well this year. Uh, you know, He was very adamant at the beginning of the season, hey, I'm the left tackle. This is not a temporary thing. I'm playing left tackle this year. And you and I both were like, eh maybe you will uh but he totally did i thought if honestly before the season i thought well and i thought if he holds if he held down that job it was almost like by default right yeah since we didn't have anyone else to go there and that's one of the reasons why i have him is i am with you again i i'm not changing my pick from the midseason i have isaiah win as mr indispensable here because honestly who are our options if isaiah win was not up to that task really who are our options yeah, we almost you only really only have Andrew Thomas, really. Yeah, you have Andrew Thomas, and that's a true freshman playing right tackle, and he he played well at right tackle, but he wasn't a dominant player. Was he ready to protect our quarterback's blind side? I wouldn't have felt comfortable with that at this point. Uh, and it, so if if and it, it, even if you keep him at right tackle, okay, well, Wynn can't handle the job. Who do you put out there? Do you put in? I mean, uh, Demarcus Hayes, the JUCO transfer, or do you put in? You give Isaiah Wilson a chance at right tackle and move, uh, and and move. Uh, Thomas over to left tackle. Is that how you handle the situation? I don't know. You have so you have basically you're bookending the offensive line with two true freshmen. That's a scary proposition. And clearly those guys weren't right because they didn't see a lick of playing time. So I really think without Isaiah Wynn playing as well as he did in his senior season at left tackle, uh, I mean it wasn't a brand new position for him. He played a little bit uh, for about half the season, a sophomore year. But I, I thought he did a commendable job and really kind of solidified that left side of that offensive line for us throughout the entire season. It was, it was a big part of our success running the football, no doubt, and, and protecting the quarterback as well. All right, next one here, uh, second award on the offensive side of the ball is for Mr. Consistency, the guy that game in and game out was just a consistent force. Not necessarily the most dominant force, but just a consistent player who did his job game in and game out, down in and down out. Kurt, who are you giving that award to? I gotta go with Sony. I think the thing about him is just he, his versatility. I mean, the thing is, he did a lot of things that didn't get a lot of get much attention. I mean, almost every passing down when we had to get yards passing or stuff, he was the one coming in to do the pass blocking, and he would do that and things like that that didn't get much attention. But without that, it was just really important. I mean, does Sony have a bad game? I guess he, I, everyone had a bad game on the offensive side of the ball against Auburn yeah, that first time around. That in that first Auburn 21, 21 yards on nine carries didn't get many opportunities, but we weren't doing anything. That wasn't all the running backs' fault. Uh, Thirty-two yards against Mississippi State that was on seven carries. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, he was a consistent player. He give you a solid, you know, seventy to hundred yards a game, pretty much there. A couple hundred hundred plus yard games, a couple hundred fifty plus yard games. 
So I, I absolutely cannot argue with that choice. And he's a guy that I definitely considered here. Uh, but I'm going to break my own rule. I just told you guys at the outset that I was trying to spread the wealth out a little bit here. And here I am, the first two awards given to the same guy. And I'm, I'm, but I think it fits here. I really do. I, I wanted to go with another guy. I, I tried to think, okay, who was more consistent? I considered uh, Sony. I considered Nick. But both those guys had games where they didn't necessarily show up. It wasn't all their fault necessarily. But there were a few games where it was, uh, you know, it was just they, they didn't necessarily get the job done. But I thought just about game in and game out, Isaiah Wynn did his job. Did he dominate people? No, that's not what he's going to do. He's not a physically imposing dude out there at left tackle. But he played with a great, great technique, didn't blow assignments, and I, I just thought did a, a heck of a job for us all year long. Now against Alabama, no one in the offensive line looked good because that defensive front was, uh, I mean, just absurd, ridiculous. They just dominated us up front across the board. Uh, but... Outside of that game, I really thought he did his job. Even the first time against Auburn, while the mo- pretty much the rest of the offensive line, particularly the interior of the offensive line, was just getting destroyed, and so was Andrew Thomas on the right side. I thought when uh, out of everyone, did maybe the best job. Now, that's not saying much, but did the best job in that game, which was just a complete disaster offensively. But I'm going to go with Isaiah Winnie. I just thought game in, game out, this guy was consistent, came in, prepared, did his job, and was a rock force over there at left tackle. So, to me, that is the model of consistency. Uh, all right, next one here. I, I, you know, obviously, I'm going to let you take this one first, Chris, because I, I think people might have an issue with where I go with this. But it's okay. It's all good. Uh, the next one here is the award for Mr. Underappreciated, the guy on our roster on the offensive side of the ball who did his job, again, not, not necessarily a dominant performance year in our game in and game out, but did his job every single week and did not get the appreciation from the entire fan base like you think this person may have warranted. So who are you giving that award to? I think I'm going to go with Andrew Thomas. I really considered Andrew Thomas as well. Why did you ultimately decide to go with him? Um, because I think he's a freshman. I think he played really well to be a freshman. Um, and not only that, but for yeah. you know, he would make a few errors here and there, but he always seemed to correct them. Um, and I mean, especially in the big time games, he held his own for the most part against some of these, you know, some of the elite pass rushers in the SEC. I mean, the second the second game against Auburn. I mean, Jeff Holland and people like that. He he held his own, and yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is he improved throughout the year, which is what especially what you like to see from someone. And I mean, even after we made the switch to put Cleveland, a lot of these big runs we got were behind. Behind him in Cleveland. Absolutely. It wasn't perfect. Like you mentioned it wasn't perfect. That first Auburn game was not good for him, but you're right. In that second game, he learned from his mistakes and he played significantly better against the same guys. Uh, and I think I, think I also think our offensive coaching staff did a better job of putting the line in, in positions to be successful, uh, which certainly helped. But he definitely learned from his mistakes there. And his mistakes were not, they were pretty few and far between. This guy was, for a true freshman, was legit over there at right tackle. I think we dealt with last year with a senior in Pike. Oh, God. I mean, just think about the tackle situation last year. And honestly, I don't want to blame those guys. I, I don't want to put it on Pike uh, at all because, I mean, they were playing out of position. Were they not? Yeah, they were. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It, I don't they were both it. guards. Just the experience from last year. I mean, yeah, Catalina and Pike were both guards. And, and you but you and I know, I mean, that you're right. It was a terrible experience. I mean, every game we're like, we have no chance because our, we, can't, we can't block anybody. You have two guards out there with, with Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. Trying, trying to play left and right tackle and in, in, uh, protect the quarterback and some elite pass rushers in the league. It's not going to happen. It's just not. And this year, we were much better equipped to handle that, especially on the right side with a guy like uh, Andrew Thomas, who is a prototypical, I, I mean, I think down the road, he. I mean, as early as next year, I expect him to be our left tackle. Uh, do you think part of the reason he was underappreciated was that he was just not as heralded and hyped as, of a recruit as, as a guy like Isaiah Wilson? 
think it's more or less that he was. He's just he's always been a quiet guy. That's true. I mean, he got he committed early and got got the process over with, and you just didn't hear much from him for the rest of the time. Yeah, he wasn't a guy that played up the uh, the recruitment process, and and I think it goes back also like he just he wasn't the big like he was he was always well respected, a high four star in the recruiting process, but he wasn't you know Isaiah Wilson, a top one, top two of the tackle in the country, getting that kind of publicity, and he's also from Georgia, so when, when we get a, a high four star tackle from Georgia, people are like, huh, that's cool, that's great. It's not like whoa, we just pulled an elite offensive tackle from New York. How's that happen? You know, that you just don't have that cachet there. And that kind of national attention attached to it. So I think that all kind of plays into it. But I definitely agree with you. I strongly considered him here as well. But I went, and I know, you know, it's all right, guys. Uh, you, can, you can go ahead and call me uh, a Jake Fromm homer if you want. But I'm going with Jake Fromm as my Mr. Underappreciated here for this season. And let me try to explain why. I see why people would, would be like, what? Because he's a quarterback. He gets a lot of attention. Yes, the quarterback always gets a lot of attention. But... The reason I went with this, and maybe it's because I hear from a lot of people on social media that uh, are constantly ripping on Jake Fromm and still want Jacob Eason today to be our starting quarterback. Uh, just I, I, I've so I've experienced that. So to me, not everyone in the fan base was completely down with the decision to stick with Jake Fromm when Eason was healthy. You know, I, and I go to every game, guys. I go to every home, every away game, and at just about every single game, I heard at least one person somewhere in the Georgia section shout about shout out about putting Jacob Eason in the game and benching Jake Fromm. And again, not to mention the vocal minority that I interact with on Twitter that still thinks we should have gone with Jacob Eason. Love you guys. I absolutely love you. Completely respect you. I just disagree with you here on that. So it's, it's for that reason that I think that Jake Fromm at least to a segment of the fan base, was underappreciated. And I just the idea that a true freshman quarterback that's not really a dual-threat guy can take a team from 7-5. and, five, and I, I, Obviously, he did not do this alone, but it was a big part of taking this team from 7-5 and five in the regular season last year, I guess 8-5 and five overall, all the way to the national championship game to overtime against the greatest college football coach in the history of college football. Uh, and again, he didn't do it all on his own, but he was a huge part of that. Uh, he was never overwhelmed. All the things that we've heard all year long, they were just true. He was never overwhelmed, a steady presence, played in some huge moments. And Well, I, I will readily admit that I'm not sure we won a ton of games because of Jake Fromm, right? Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we won a ton of games because of him. I will also say that on the flip side, we certainly did not, at least in my estimation, lose any games because of Jake Fromm. Now, he was clearly not perfect, but he did far more to help us than hurt us. He just... To me, he did so many things that are underappreciated, like underappreciated things to help us win. He was insanely good on third down, particularly third and long. I couldn't find the numbers when I was looking it up for the end of the season, but I remember I had my notes from our, our show in the off on the off week going to the Florida game. Going into that game against Florida, uh, at that point in the season, a little past the halfway mark, he was 29 of 46 for 509 yards, eight touchdowns, and one interception, which would put his quarterback rating at 209 on third down. That's crazy for anyone, let alone a true freshman. Uh, he was decisive with the ball. He understands spacing and defensive leverage, what defenses are trying to do to do to him with different coverages. Consistently got us in the right play, made the right decisions pre-snap and post-snap. Let's not forget that Oklahoma game, one of Sony's long touchdown runs in that second half was where Fromm completely checked. The, he, he, he changed the direction of the run. He saw what Oklahoma was doing. Boom, long touchdown run. That was Fromm making that, that, that change right there at the line. He's insanely good within the pocket. He manipulates the pocket really well. He anticipates pressure. Does a great job sliding ever, ever so subtly to avoid pressure. Crane throwing lanes. Give wide receivers a chance to get open. 
He's already kind of mashed the, the very pro concept of stick slide climb that you always hear uh, pro quarterback coaches talk about. He can take a hit, obviously accurate, and he does all that already, and he's only a true freshman. So while he's certainly 1,000% far from proof, has a lot of stuff still to work on, I, I, I just think I'm not sure that we appreciated how good Jake Fromm was for this year. Just because he wasn't thrown for 300-plus yards every game doesn't mean that he didn't do a great job for this football team. So I know he gets a lot of attention because he is the quarterback, but I just think there's a, a segment of the population or a segment of the fan base out there that did not truly appreciate what he was able to do for us this year. And now you guys can commence calling me a Jake Fromm homer. It's totally cool. Uh, all right, next one here, Kurt. Now this one is the, the, the only award on here that you don't want to get. Uh, and I hate to even do this, but, you know, yeah, just for fun's sake, I guess we'll do it. Uh, this award goes to the player that made us curse out loud the most. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory, Kurt. Who are you giving that one to on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, Brian Herrian. Whenever he comes <laughs> in, I really just question why he was even in there. Well, I'm still questioning. Why did he ever get carries I mean, ahead of Holyfield? Ever. What, what kills me is that one game where Payne's out. We move Holyfield to fullback. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, then... Multiple times throughout this year, the SEC championship game. Yeah, and then multiple times throughout the year, we'd run this formation where we usually have Swift or someone in the backfield, mm-hmm. and then you have Harry and a little bit past the line of scrimmage set out, and he would do almost like a slot type deal. Yeah, like we try to run a, uh, you know, when we do the jet sweeps things like that, mm-hmm. we put him out there to block, and he never made the block, or he would hold or, do, or commit a penalty. Mm-hmm. And the, what blew my mind is why put him out there when we obviously trusted Holyfield to be at fullback. So why not put Holyfield out there if he's the better blocker? Uh, that that's a conundrum. I, I can't explain it. I, I can't explain that. And, and uh, you're exactly right there. And I, on top of that, I'd add when we're when we're getting into the the rotation, you're getting your third back in the game, or a fourth back, I guess, because you got Swift there as well. Again, I know it's not a huge deal because it's garbage time anyway. But why in the world did Brian Herring get snaps ahead of Elijah Holyfield? Honestly, in every single game they played, did Holyfield not outperform him? He did, and it's also just the way uh, Harrion runs. I mean, he, he's, he always just tries to right away bounce outside, and, and yep. you can't do that. And he he, he's, he just he doesn't see the field well, and that's what gets me is even sometimes he'll come in, you know, just to give our guy a break when we're not even up, and it's just a wasted carry because he literally will just run right into people. He has no vision, and it just yeah. it just really blows my mind. I mean, the guy, I'm nothing against I know he, he's a hard he, worker. He's he he, great he runs hard, too. I'll give him that, but he almost like runs hard straight into contact. It's like, no, dude, use some vision. You don't, need, you don't have to he's run like right Brandon into somebody. Douglas almost. Yeah, and I think there's some similarities there in terms of trying to like almost seek contact. And yes, he runs really hard, but so does Holyfield. Okay, I mean, I just I don't I, I never quite got that all season. A lot of people out there, I know uh, that you guys can agree with that because you were hitting me up on Twitter all year long. I mean, that was a question we got essentially every time we did a mailbag show, which we need to get to here uh, next couple of weeks. But every time we did a mailbag show during the week, that was one question I got every single time. It got to the point where I just like stopped. We we stopped answering that because we'd answer it so many times I don't want to bore everybody. But we got that question from somebody literally every single week when we did our mailbag shows so i know you a lot of you out there are certainly in agreement with that and i cannot fault you man that's a, that's a great one I honestly didn't even consider that one but that was that was a good one uh for me you know at, at the midpoint i had uh miko harman in this in this award because miko had had some very high profile drops at that point had not quite really become the player that he became down the stretch for us, really kind of came on late in the season and really kind of developed into that, a true receiver, uh, which which made sense because the guy was still very new to the position. So I wasn't trying to kill him. I'm just saying, you know, he, I honest, just to be honest with you, I probably cursed out loud about Miko more than anybody on the team at the first part of the season, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but 
he kind of he, he grew out of that the second half of the season. And I, by the end of the season, offensively, honestly, the guy that made me curse out loud the most, and I do it a lot when I'm watching these games, guys, was Kendall Baker. Uh, that's just who that's who I have to go with here. I mean, I just look. Kendall Baker was a was a good solid player for us. Okay, he wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but there were times where he was not good. Okay, it wasn't like it was it was consistently, but there were times I'm like, oh my god, you're getting destroyed. Uh, whether it's Alabama, whether it's basically any time we face something that was remotely that you can remotely consider an elite or high level defensive line, he couldn't handle it. Now, if you're playing guys that are that 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 are moderately talented, like maybe a Kentucky or a Georgia Tech, somewhere like that, Missouri. He was fine, right? He could handle that. And he, he played with good technique and knew his assignments. But when he plays against guys that were just men out there on the defensive line, he just couldn't handle it. He was, he's just not equipped to handle that. And uh, it killed us. It killed us at mul- in, in multiple times. It wasn't just him against Auburn, but the first time around, it was not pretty. Uh, well, what's well I mean, there's a lot of times. I mean, think about the uh, Oklahoma game where we have a drive going and it just jumps Oh, my side. God. And thank God we won that game. Because, again, going back to that game, I literally had in my notes. I take notes for the show while I'm watching the games during the TV timeouts. Uh, I had in my notes, if we lose this game, make sure you mention it's because of Kendall Baker. <laughs> because that was a huge play, man. You go from third and one, potentially getting some points in that drive, to third and six, and then you get nothing. I just know you can't do that. Not 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 the first half when we were getting killed. You know that was that was not no oh, man. And then against Alabama, nobody on the offensive line played well against Alabama. But Baker was one of the the, the dudes that was getting blown up consistently. Uh, really, everyone on the interior, but Baker was too. I just saw him get blown up more can, more often than really anybody on the entire offensive line. Everybody had their moments. They got blown up. We faced elite talent. That's going to happen when you're facing really good defensive line talent. But he was just the the more frequent offender when it came to that. Throughout the year, uh, all right. Next one here, Kurt. the The award for surprise offensive player of the year, the guy that you least expected to make an impact that actually made an impact on our season. Who are you going with this one? Um, you know, I want to go with Javon Wims, but I think I'm going to go with Ben Cleveland. Interesting. Okay, Cleveland. I, I I cannot disagree. Why Cleveland on this one though? You could just see the offensive line really started taking off and playing better once he came in. Um, you know, we got a more consistent push. Um, one of the biggest things with Kenley was he was getting pushed back, and that was the opposite of what uh, Cleveland did. You know, he didn't always make perfect block, but the thing was he would he would hit someone. It didn't matter what he was doing. He was always finding a head to hit. And, um, you know, he, he hadn't been playing the guard position a lot, but I thought he did really well, especially in the, uh, the SEC championship game. He was opening up some big holes. I mean, if you go back and look at the tape since he came in, a lot of our big runs that were up the – you know, up you know between the tackles yeah. and stuff, we're behind him, and he helped. He really helped a lot too by cleaning up. Um, you know, with the double with the double teams and then moving up to the next line. Yeah, he did a great job for us. He absolutely, he absolutely did a great job for and us. And I mean, the biggest lineup. thing is, you know, especially you know before he started. I mean, getting into halfway part of the season, people were questioning why. You know, is he even going to ever get on the field? Is he ever going to make an impact? Is he ever going to do anything for the University of Georgia? And I think that's why. He's, I go with him because he came on there, and I think he really established himself going into next year that if, if any guard position is up for battle, I don't believe it's his. I think I agree with you, and that's a very fair point because I, I think people who are having those questions like, okay, if he doesn't make a move this year, is he ever going to play for us? I think those were legitimate questions because if you look at how we're recruiting, if he didn't make a move this year, when was it going to be his opportunity to do anything? And I know he and he's a younger guy. I think he was seventeen when he when he when he enrolled at Georgia. He's still only eighteen years old. Yeah, as a still only eighteen years old as a redshirt freshman, which is crazy to believe. And and, and it, it kind of 
you know, obviously his huge body, the, mul- the the hulking presence of being Cleveland kind of belies his relative youth compared to everyone else. Uh, but you had to factor that in, and he didn't play. No, he, he played a lot of defensive tackle in high school. He played some offensive tackle, but just not, he was more of a defensive player than he was offensive player. Uh, it wasn't. I don't. I just don't know if he was a technician. He, he really he needed to work on his flexibility, his ability to bend, uh, and he he did all of that. He, he, Play with better leverage. He was kind of a big hulking dude out there, and just didn't really know how to play the position. And he, he, and to his credit, he took that redshirt season in stride the right way. Learned obviously, and was able to and get himself inserted in the starting lineup after that Auburn game, and really kind of transformed our offensive line, the interior of our offensive line at least. Uh, now, I will say in the Alabama game again, I don't want to kill anybody here. He got lit up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, consistently, yeah, but, I mean, but so did you know, everybody. Yes, yeah, so did everyone. And I think the thing is, though, is it wasn't for a lack of trying. No, I, and I'm really, I'm with you. I'm really high on his future. I think by, I mean, he's only going to get better from here, and he was pretty and, and darn good. Thing, yeah, he's only getting better. I mean, you look at people uh, like Billiard who got blown up. Uh, you mentioned Baker, people like that. They've been on this. I mean, they've been around. Yeah, yeah. They, these guys are these guys are upperclassmen. I mean, they've tried to hand Baker multiple jobs. I mean, we tried to give him the offensive tackle position last spring, and the guy got embarrassed in a, in a spring game yeah. against our second group defense. Yeah, it was that was rough for him. Absolutely, it was. Yeah, Ben Cleveland's a good choice there, and honestly, like you know, we were all pretty high on you, you and I. We were pretty high on Kenley for most of these because he at least he, he was somebody that gave us some size in the interior, which <laughs> we didn't really have. Where we started when you had Pat right, he was be- he was a better option than what we had last year. But then it, it turned out that Cleveland was a better option than Kenley was. So, uh, and honestly, it was I was surprised uh, that we that we ended up making that move. I you know that practice the, the week of practice after the Auburn game that first time around, you'd heard some rumors, and I was like, oh dude, like is this legitimately going to happen? And I, and I was totally on board with it because we all saw what's happened to Solomon Kinley in that first Auburn matchup. Uh, and lo and behold, Cleveland gets a start, and he never relinquished that. You know, Kinley played; he, he kind of shared some snaps with him, shared series. Uh, but Cleveland laid cl- laid claim to that job and and never gave it back. So definitely kudos to him, and that was certainly, I think, something that qualifies as a surprising development. Uh, honestly, here the guy I want to go with is at first glance I want to go with Kendall Baker, but I already used him, and I get trying to spread the wealth here as much as possible. I do think Kendall Baker deserves honorable mention here because. Like you said, this is a guy that was – he was written off, right? I mean, we tried to give him that job a couple of years ago, but he, he – like you said, got beat at, by our second unit in the spring game, got embarrassed in front of everybody, uh, and was kind of just written off. Like, I, honestly, when I was thinking about our offensive line this year, I, he was not a name that I even remotely considered. I really didn't. So the fact that he somehow ended up winning that job and, and – and you remember it was Pat Allen in the, in the spring and in the summer, but he displaces Pat Allen, takes that job – uh, so I was surprised by that, but the guy I'm going to go with, um, did, I, uh, I don't know if he had a gigantic impact on the year, but the most surprising player I'm going to go with is DeAndre Swift here. And I, I get that DeAndre Swift was a highly recruited player. I totally understand that. So on that regard, maybe it's not as surprising, but the reason it was surprising for me that he had the impact that he did is because when you look at who we had coming back with Chubb and Michelle, it was hard for me to imagine a scenario where DeAndre Swift is going to make a significant impact. I, I figured he would certainly get some carries. He early. Yeah, he didn't enroll early. I, I, I saw him having a role on third down because he's that kind of guy that, can, that we all saw that can that can uh, play receiver out of the backfield. Uh, and I thought he would probably battle out with uh, either Holyfield or Herring for that number three spot and had a chance to get that number three spot. I just didn't know how many carries the number three back was going to end up getting. And he really didn't get a ton of carries in the grand scheme of things. He had 81 carries on the year, but dude made the most of them when he got his opportunities. 
Averaged 7.6 yards a carry. Did not see that coming. Actually led the team in yards per attempt. Uh, had multiple games where he was close to 100 yards. Almost had 100 against Missouri. Had 94 yards on six carries against Missouri. Averaged 15.7 yards in that game. Uh, we all saw what he did, that, that that run that's completely sealed the game in the SEC title game against Auburn. Just a nasty run. Just a, kind of a foreshadowing of, of things to come from him. Uh, and he's also a, a, a major player in the receiving game as well. Definitely the, the, our go-to guy out of the backfield. We used Sony some as well, but really it was it was uh, Swift uh, that kind of took over that role. Because I, I think our coaches knew we wanted to get him on the field, and we saw that as a way to get him on the field, get him some touches. And as the season progressed, we just saw this guy was legit, and we tried to give him as many touches in as many ways as we possibly could. So for me, uh, while, yes, I knew he was a talented player coming in, I just with the guys that we had, the 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 depth that we had that position, I just didn't know how he's gonna be able to kind of carve a, a major role for himself. He's gonna make it a huge impact, and I think he did. Maybe it wasn't a huge impact, but he definitely had an impact on this season. There's no doubt about it. Uh, all right, next one here, uh, last one for the offensive side of the ball is our award for the offensive MVP of the season. Kurt, who are you giving this one to? Um, I had a hard time with this one. I don't know if there was any one dude that just stood out. Like defense is pretty obvious. Offense, I don't know. I think I think you honestly have to go with Isaiah Wynn. Really? Okay. Why win? Make the argument for Wynn as the most valuable player I think of all. He was offense. just the most consistent player on the team. I mean, um, you know, we talk about the running back and skill position, how we were so able to interchange these guys, but Wynn was that, you know, that consistent factor. He didn't give up many sacks. I mean, he helped he did pretty well in pass blocking. Um he was more. He was. I think he was the leader of the offensive line and things like that. And I think that's why. I mean, he he was just Mister Dependable, really. Yeah, it goes back to what we, we gave him. The, the at least I gave him the first two awards, being indispensable and being consistent. That's that's a pretty good case for being the MVP of the team. Uh, so I, I guess another. I one mean, see, that's the thing. We had we had multiple skill guys that um, did well. I mean, Sony was not that far behind Chubb in rushing. I mean, Wims was our leading receiver, but we had other guys make great plays and step up too at times. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you could you could pick any one of them, but if you look at the offensive line, there's really only one person that really stood out. That's 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 a really fair point. You might be kind of swaying me here because I, I had the same issue. Like when I looked at our skill players, usually these awards go to skill players more often than not. I was like, well. They're, they're all good in their own right, but which one of them stood out more than the other ones? Like, okay, Wims. Yeah, Wims was great. Godwin was great. Uh, Sony was great. Nick was great yeah, at I mean, times. Chubb but... had more yards, but it, when it really came down to it, especially in the bowl games, Sony was the better running back. Sony so was it's the hard guy. to go with Chubb when you saw Sony come on and be more important at certain times. Yeah, Sony was the best running back all year long. He just, for whatever well, yeah, reason, but... became – Yeah, he just, for whatever reason, we wouldn't make him the feature he back. Missed, he missed a game or two. Yeah, but I mean, he – Averaged a full yard per carry more than Nick did on the year. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, I mean, dude, that's a good one with, with win there. See, I was trying to spread the wealth here, but that, that's a that's a pretty convincing argument. Uh, who I who I went with here, on my at least in my notes, I got Sonny Michel, since we were just talking about him. Again, very difficult for me because it's hard to distinguish between him and Nick and him and Javon Wims and, I'm you know, Terry Godwin. It's tough because they all played their roles. They all had huge moments at times, but – for me, the reason I went with Sony here is especially Sony ahead of Nick Chubb because I think most people probably go with Chubb here. Uh, but I went with Sony ahead of Chubb because I think that Sony was more efficient and he was more productive per touch than Chubb was. I just went over the, the numbers there. He was a full yard per carry. He averaged seven yards per carry. Nick averaged six point yards or six yards a carry. So both good, but Sony was more efficient, more productive per touch. Uh, and it really, it's it's so close you can't go wrong with either guy. Uh, I, I, I think Sony, as you mentioned, late in the season was definitely a more explosive option. The running back position came up absolutely huge in the Rose Bowl. We all know that. 
and really for me, I guess the deciding factor when I'm trying to distinguish between all these different role players, like, okay, they all they all had their moment, or not role players, all these skill players, they all had their moments where they were the guy, uh, and they were huge playmakers, but to me, the deciding factor is simply the eye test. I just, I honestly think that Sonny Michel was a better player than Nick Chubb at this point. I think he was a better player, I know they played different positions, but I think he would he did his job better than Javon Wims did. I think he did his job better than Terry Godwin did game in and game out. So I, if I had to go with one guy, I, I guess I went with Sony here. But, man, you, you made a pretty convincing argument there with uh, with Isaiah Wynn. No doubt there. All right, let's look over the defensive side of the ball here for a few minutes. And let, we're going to do the same awards, this time just with our defensive personnel. Uh, we're going to start with Mr. Indispensable. Curtis, who are you giving that award to? Yeah, I just, I mean, is there any... That one, that one you just have to give to him. I, I, honestly, yes. And again, I put a little caveat out there. Honestly, I went down this list, and I can make a legitimate argument to give Roquan Smith every single one of these awards except for made us curse out loud the most. I really could. Most indispensable, most consistent, most... I don't, well, maybe not Mr. Underappreciate, because everyone knows how good he is. Surprise player of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, Roquan was good the past couple of years. He wasn't this good. So it was a surprise to be, for him to be that good. Demons MVP, clearly... But I'm with you. I've got Roquan here. I mean, do we even go in depth with that? I mean, no, not really. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. If we did not have Roquan Smith on that defense, we wish it would have been good. We would have been nearly as good as we were. And that that's just it's 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 simple. It's that simple. All right, so let's move into the next one here, Mister Consistency. I considered a couple of guys here, including Roquan Smith. Who did you end up going with? Um, I think I'm gonna go with DeAndre Baker. That's a good one. Okay, it's a good one. I mean, throughout the season, he was the most consistent cornerback we had for the year. Um, you know, he was he was our closest to a lockdown corner defensively. I mean, he made plays. He was physical when he had to be. And I can't say that for many other people other than Roquan. I mean, defensive line people would go in and out, um, especially in the secondary. I mean, Jared Reed would probably be my second choice. But, I mean, Dominic Sanders would play well sometimes, and sometimes I question why he's even on the field. And don't even get me started. <laughs> I don't, did, did, why did you, why'd you bring his name up, man? Honestly, why'd you have to do that? Because now I'm – Depressed all over again. I momentarily th- forgot about it all. Thanks, man. Um, and especially yeah, the two outside linebackers. Sometimes they would play like they were the senior leaders, and the other times you. It's like, what are you doing? doing? Like, oh, I don't know. The Auburn game, the first time yeah. around. Like, you, shh, God, kidding me? Whew, yeah. Um, that's 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 a good one. DeAndre Baker was he was he was a uh, he was a stud. Honestly, I think he was. Like, I don't believe in this idea of shutdown corners anymore. I just I don't. If you guys listen to the show, you, I I just think rules that. The rules favor offensive now, offensive players nowadays, and you just can't be a shutdown corner anymore. But you can still be a pretty darn good corner. I think he's right there. He's 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 not quite at that level, but he's getting close. And I'm very excited to see what he can do next year. He was clearly our best team as a back, in my opinion, at least our best corner without question all year long. That's a great pick there, man. For me, I'm going to go on the defensive line here, and I'm going to give my Mister Consistency award to Tyler Clark. Uh, I I just thought game in and game out, this guy was he he did his job, and and he was. I think, again, in my opinion, our best interior defensive lineman. Now, he played – we'd move him around, so he never played nose. He was primarily a three-tech guy. There were times we put him at five-tech, but not consistently. Uh, but he was as – a, as a three-tech on the interior of that defensive line, this guy was our most consistent player, no doubt about it. There, there wasn't really a game where he did not show up. Now, there doesn't mean he didn't have a, a play here or there. It was like, okay, dude, that wasn't, that wasn't great. But game in and game out, this guy showed up. He played – Played hard every single game, uh, made huge plays, was getting penetration when required, held his gap, played with great gap integrity, played with really good leverage, made a huge step up from his fresh from his freshman campaign. I, I just thought game in and game out, this is a guy that we could count on the defensive line, and that's critical 
when you're playing in a, in a league like the SEC that's so dependent upon elite trench play. And Tyler Clark definitely gave us that this year. He's not maybe as dominant as a guy like Derek Brown or some of that ilk, uh, or some of the guys like Deron Payne, Alabama has. He's not dominant like that. But in terms of doing his job, game in, game out, you could truly expect Tyler Clark to come in and play a good, solid game every single game this season. So that's the guy I'm throwing my Mr. Consistency Award to. Uh, next one here, Mr. Underappreciated. Who is that award going to for you, man? Well, it's tough because I really did want to go to Hunter Baker here again, but yeah. I think I'm going to steal your thunder and go with Tyler Clark. Okay. Because for the majority of the time, in all honesty, I mean, Trent Thompson was the one getting attention. and um, and I, I don't He's a big-time recruit. Was, Tyler Clark was a three-star recruit. Yeah, and I think cause I think it's obvious Tyler Clark deserved it the most, especially this past year. Yeah. He probably, like you said, he had he was probably the best interior defensive lineman we had. Um, I think set, you could have gone with John Atkins because he did his job day in day out, but sure. I think Tyler Clark was the one that didn't get enough attention for how well he was playing. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned John Atkins because that's who uh, I have my have as my Mister Underappreciated here. Uh, and I think you're right. John Atkins could have gotten the Mitchell Consistency Award too. Him and Tyler Clark, I don't want to say interchangeable because they played different positions. Atkins was a nose. Clark was pretty much a three tech. Uh, but for me, John Atkins, he just he plays a role as as a nose guard in, in this odd front defense that we well we we play a lot of even front too. But I guess the base is an odd front where his job is to just basically eat up blocks, not really to make tackles, not to make sacks, not to get the glory, not to, to, to get the stats. That's not his job. His job is to get beat up and to take on blockers so that guys like Roquan Smith can get all the publicity and be the superstars, be the potential Heisman Trophy candidates, be top 10 draft picks. That's his job, and this dude did it every single game. Did he miss a game? He didn't miss a game, did he? Lisa. He did. I, I don't. Not to tell my head. I mean, maybe I'm. There's a time where he got hurt. I don't know if he missed an entire game. Yeah, I don't think he missed an entire game. So, and this guy, I'm telling you, he was banged up all year. Long. Kirby mentioned it at some point. Like this dude just he's banged up, but he doesn't carries out there playing. He's doing his job. Uh, and and with football is, you know, a lot of times we talk about, especially like with the Heisman Trophy, all these awards they go to guys who put up the best stats on the best teams, right? Well, a guy that plays nose guard is not going to put up any stats. And the only the only nose guard I can really think of that. I guess in college, I guess you know, Mount Cody back in the day at Alabama got a lot of attention because he played at Alabama. John Atkins didn't get that kind of attention, but he still did a heck of a job. Did everything he was asked to do, and no one paid attention to him. No one paid attention to him at all. But he did his job every single week. So consistency, underappreciation, they both apply here. And I definitely want to give a little round of applause here to Mr. John Atkins and what he did for our program this season. Appreciate it, my man. All right, next one here. I think you and I. I am imagining you and I are going to be on the same page here. I, I think. I could be wrong. But the next award here is for Made Us Curse Out Loud the Most. Curtis, who are you giving that award to on the defensive side of the ball? The one that made us curse the most? Curse Out Loud the Most, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's no question it's Malcolm Parrish. Oh, okay, we didn't go the same way. Okay, you went Malcolm Okay, but that's there were two guys that were obvious to me. Actually, there were three that, that I could make an argument there for. There were three, but the two, two were the, uh, the ones that both screwed up at the same time. All right, yeah. So you're so you're going Malcolm Parrish, and yes, he's he's been an obvious punching bag for a lot of people, including us, through most of the season. Why is he the one that made you curse out loud the most? Because he got picked on like he was a, a little kid in, in the, uh, on the playground. playground football. Yeah. I mean, it was embarrassing out there. I mean, teams are always picking on him, and he couldn't do anything about it. I mean, you know, I'm, I know Kirby thought he said, talked about how he had such a great fall practice and everything and broke his foot. So if I understand he's come back from injury, but still there's no excuse, especially later in the season, for him mm-hmm. to get picked on like he was. And the thing was, and it's not like he, he was out there 
it's the thing was it wasn't like he was there to make the play sometimes like the like against Auburn he doesn't even get his head up it doesn't turn around doesn't mm-hmm. find the football or anything on that long touchdown pass mm-hmm. and he was making stupid mistakes hitting guys out of bounds in the national championship grabbing mm-hmm. Riley Ridley's face mask doing things that were just stupid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. grabbing Calvin Ridley's face mask yeah you're right uh I, I can't argue with the word you said. I, I, I can't. I can't. I mean, I, I mean, in all honesty, if I saw number 14 out there, I said, I, I pretty much just... I cursed out loud. I cursed out loud many times. As soon I'm not as gonna I lie. saw him walk on the field, I would just pretty much say, well, here comes a pit. And, and, and you knew his passing situation. And I, I would I look at every game and see, like, is he starting? When he, if he was, like, oh, God. You, it and took me fill in the blank. We had Brandon Smith under Grantham where every third down they would go after him and then mm-hmm. they'd get a first down because they would attack him. That's what it was like with him. Yeah, I, I can't I can't disagree with anything you said there. He was one he was one of the two guys that I had high on my list. I figured you might go with him. I thought there's a chance you would go at go with the guy that I picked. And I, I picked Reggie Carter. <laughs> I'm sorry, and this is just a personal thing for me because if I'm I, I, I didn't even think about him. Yeah, if I if I'm being honest, who made me curse out loud the most in games? It was Reggie Carter. Now, Malcolm, I definitely curse out loud because of Malcolm Parrish. Ain't no doubt about that. I definitely curse out loud because of Dominic Sanders at times. No doubt about it. But there is no player that that incurred my wrath more than Reggie Carter. And But I'm going to put a caveat on this one. All right, I'm going to say Reggie Carter slash Natrez Patrick. Because let's be honest, Reggie Carter would not have been in a position to have to play that many snaps to where I was cursing that often at him if it wasn't for Natrez Patrick being a certified idiot. When Natrez was playing full time, Reggie would come in and you wouldn't know. It's fine because he plays a series every three or four series. And that's fine. I mean, he whatever. Would, he would mess up because he, especially when he coming from Roquan, you see a step back. But like you said, it wasn't that many plays. But it's not when a big he had deal. to be the, the second guy, you notice it just that much. In, more. in both playoff games, he played essentially outside of the third down snaps when we went to, when it was third and long, we went to the dime package. He played every single snap. Okay, these guys did not come out of the game. Roquan and Reggie, Reggie Carr did not come out of the game. There was no subbing for them. I think I saw uh, Tay Crowder come in like once or twice in the national championship game in situational uh, moments. It wasn't like just, hey, you're going to play a series. No, these guys played every series. And that's all Natrez Patrick. Okay, so I don't want to fault Reggie Carr for being in that position because that was Natrez Patrick who put him in that position. And that's just because he was a freaking idiot. Okay, and he probably has an issue, and I'm, I, maybe I'm making a lot of that. I don't mean to. I hope he gets. The, I really do hope he gets the help he does. But there's also quite a bit of anger in me built up over what he did uh, because it was completely avoidable. It, he let he let everyone down. He let his team down. He let us down. And I just and he put Reggie Carter in that situation. And Reggie played his heart out, man. I would not fault Reggie Carter forever. The dude played to the best of his abilities. It just happens to be his ability. His, the height of his abilities is just not that great. He's a step slow. He plays with poor leverage. He could not disengage from blocks to save his life. Missed so many tackles. Tried to arm tackles far too often. And people just run right through. It's not high school anymore. We, you used to be able to get away with that. Not so much in the SEC. Uh, and it just, it killed us, man. It, it, it killed us against Oklahoma. It killed us against Alabama. It's just, mm, yeah. But So that's a joint effort there. Because, again, Reggie wasn't great on the field. But he wouldn't have been in that position if it was not for nature as Patrick. So, all right, off my soapbox now. All right, next one here. A little, let's go on a happier note. Uh, who are you giving the award to for defensive surprise player of the year? I think it's easy to go with Tyler Clark. Yeah, he's. He, I definitely consider him too. I, I went with somebody else that I didn't want. Oh, no, I was actually, trying to spread actually, the wealth. No, you know, actually, I think I'm going to go J.R. Reed. That's exactly who I went with, yeah. Trying to spread the wealth. Because J.R. deserves something here. 
the way yeah, he played. Yeah, Tyler Clark. I mean, we. I mean, he was originally recruited by Georgia the whole time. You yeah. had J.R. Reed, who was recruited by no no one really out of high school, ends up going to Tulsa, and then everyone thinks we take him just to get Gibbs, and he ends up starting for us. Ends up being much more of a contributor, at least at this point, that D'Angelo Gibbs has been, and we don't know what's going on with Gibbs right now with him not being enrolled this semester. Uh, it's probably. I mean, I don't want to speculate here. I think it's sim- in some way similar to the Trent Thompson situation. There might be a. Uh, a condi- uh, well, I don't want to get, I don't want to throw too much out there. But there's a situation where we hopeful that we'll be able to get him back for the summer. Uh, if he can re-enroll in the summer, we'll see if that plays out. Hopefully, but we didn't have we didn't have those issues. With J.R. Reed, the dude was just a baller all year, right? Yeah, I mean all year long. So I, I definitely, and this is a guy like you said, a lot of people thought that we truly just offered him to get his cousin to get D'Angelo Gibbs, and and maybe there was some thought about that. I'm sure that factored into the equation, but I don't think we would offer them. If we didn't see something in him, and Kirby, Kirby is very open. Like we, we expected him to, to come in and compete. We didn't think he was going to be this good, this quick, and definitely a surprise player for us. When I heard some conversation in the fall camp that he was going to be a guy that was really going to play a lot, it's like really interesting. Let's see what he's got. And dude, he he absolutely delivered all year long. So appreciate Jr. and what he did this year. Going to be a huge part of the of the puzzle for us defensively moving forward. And the last one, I don't even think we need to cover this because I think this is another one. It's just as obvious as as the first one. Defensive MVP, your award goes to? Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker, really? No, I'm going Roquan. Yeah, I mean, in terms of defensive play, I mean, it's got to be Roquan. I mean, it's just, again, do we need to discuss that? I, I think it's pretty obvious. If you watch football and you understand football, you know how good Roquan Smith was. Uh, I'll say it again. I think the best defensive player that I've seen play in a Georgia uniform in my lifetime uh, had somebody bring up on Twitter Jarvis Jones, because we mentioned that on the last show, as a guy who, who's probably the, one of the best players in the past ten years or so, past decade or so, I, and Jarvis is a was is a great pick, man. It's a great name. Jarvis was a, a man beast. He was he was a destroyer of souls out there. But I just think Roquan was better at what he did than what than Jarvis was at what he did. And then they're both high level college players. But uh, I think Roquan's just a slight step ahead. But uh, you're wrong, with Jarvis. Man, Jarvis is a beast for for sure. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us here today on the postseason award show. Hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you guys think. I'm sure we got something wrong here. Uh, we don't know at all. Just a few opinions. I want to give you guys our take on that. Uh, so feel free to share with us where we got it wrong, where we got it right. Love to hear your thoughts. You can find us on Twitter at glory underscore uga. Uh, check back with us next week. We'll again have uh, another football Friday next week. Continue talking some basketball, recapping how those games go. Hopefully, we get on a winning streak here basketball-wise. We'll see how that goes. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go Dawgs.